0: If I don't know you, my name is uh, Joe Johnson, and I am the campus minister at Birmingham Southern, and my wife and family and I go to this church and love this church, and uh, I can pull it down a little bit if I need to. I don't want to blow everybody away. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you, so uh, please introduce yourself to me afterward. Uh, We are going to be in Luke chapter 1, if you have your Bibles or your bulletins for today. We are interrupting our series In Luke, uh, to go to Luke chapter 1. Uh, A few weeks ago when we started this sermon series, we said uh, we're going to start a couple chapters in to the gospel of Luke uh, because we knew Advent was coming. And so when Advent would come, we would go back to Luke chapter 1 and go through the birth narrative of Jesus. And lo and behold, this is the first Sunday of Advent, if you can believe it. Uh, I think many of us are still wondering what happened to November through March, or um, uh, March through November. November. And uh, But it's here. Christmas is coming. And so at Advent, the church turns her eyes uh, to the beginning of the gospel, the anticipation, the awaiting of the arrival of the king. And so very appropriate for us to turn back to Luke chapter 1. This is a pretty long uh, passage, so I apologize for this. Buckle up for that reading as we go through this. But as we go through these stories, these birth announcements of two babies that are coming... We actually see a very dark world, but we begin to see God's light bursting in. We begin to see a flickering hope in the midst of the darkness. And so, with that in mind, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be, starting in verse 5. This is God's word. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink strong wine, not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had a vision in the temple when he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And when he came to her, he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Thanks be to God. Let me pray one more time and ask for God's help. Father, this is your word and we're your people. And we pray, Lord, as we think about this and hear this, the good news of the light shining forth in the darkness, that we see Jesus, you, more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My house growing up, um, we were very consistent in our Christmas decorations Uh, We did not do big blow-up Santa Clauses. Uh, We didn't do colorful lights. We were less Christmas vacation and more like Southern Puritans. We were very classy in our decorations, very simple. And the mainstay in the Johnson Family Home Christmas decorations were these little um, plastic candlesticks, electric plastic candlesticks. Many homes, I'm sure, have them. Uh, They were the thing that we decorated the house with. And so when that box came from the attic that green box, I still remember it, and those lights came out when we knew Christmas was on its way. And so we'd pull out the candles, we'd replace the bulbs, plug them in, and we had one candle for each of the windows in the front of the house. Um, and whenever we would leave the house, knowing we were coming back at night, we would have to turn off all the lights of the house, turn on those little candles, and we would leave. And so we would come back from whatever we were doing, whether it was like a practice or a game or just dinner. I can still remember that dark house, like even the floodlights were off, just darkness, and those little candles in each window. We actually moved around a lot as a kid, and I can see every house we lived in. And the picture that I have in my mind of those houses was always those lights at Christmas. Just the complete darkness, complete stillness of the house, and those tiny flickering lights in each of the windows. As we walk through this passage, and really as we just enter into the season of Advent, that's sort of the picture that I want in all of our minds. The utter darkness and the flickering little light. Fleming Rutledge in her book on Advent, which I highly recommend, actually says that it's that kind of picture that is what Advent is. Darkness, brokenness, sinfulness, and a flickering light. A tiny light of hope that bursts forth. So as we walk through this passage of two birth announcements, of John and Jesus who were coming, we begin to see that in a very dark world, in a cold world, in a silent world, God has not spoken to His people in hundreds of years. They are wondering what is going on. All of a sudden, a tiny light shines forth. And all of a sudden, God's people have hope. And so, two things as we walk through this passage this morning. I want to talk about God's presence in the darkness, that He's there, and his power over the darkness. His presence in the darkness. And his power over the darkness. So first, his presence in the darkness. So uh, Gabriel's the angel who has a lot to do in Luke chapter 1. He's actually going to go to both of these parents to tell them that baby boys are coming. First, John the Baptist, who's the one that's going to herald the king. He's going to announce the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus, the king himself. So his first stop is to John the Baptist's parents to Zachariah what we know about Zachariah is that he's a priest and he's married to a daughter of Aaron meaning he's married to a priest priest daughter and so this is a well pedigreed couple they're well advanced in years and actually Luke goes out of his way if you notice to say how great they are verse six they both were righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord these are good faithful holy people pillars of their community respectable And so it doesn't really surprise you after hundreds of years of silence that God is going to do something with this kind of couple, right? This is the one that you would want on your side to do something great with. But then the surprise comes that I think Luke's building up to in verse 7. But they, this couple, had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. There's verse 7 that kind of catches your attention. You can kind of quickly move past it, but there's a lot of sadness in verse 7, there's a lot of darkness in verse 7. That no matter, I do this all the time, no matter how much I think, that like, people's lives are perfect, and they have it all together, there's always sadness, there's always darkness, there's always something, as a former pastor used to say, there's a hurt in every pew. There is a hurt in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's verse 7 that catches our attention that the world is not the way that it's meant to be. It doesn't take very long in Luke's orderly account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for darkness of the world to rear its ugly head. This is not the way it was meant to be. This is not the way it's meant to work. This is dark. This is sad. This is painful. It's actually in Advent that we're called to remember the darkness of the world. To remember our sin and to remember our need. And maybe that's just a little easier in 2020. With the darkness that we kind of see every day, they were reminded of every day of racial strife and injustice that seems to just keep getting worse, and that's dark. Of an election that divides a nation and divides families and maybe made some of our Thanksgivings kind of awkward, but that's dark. And I hate to admit it because we, I mean, it's everywhere, but you know, there is a virus, (laughs) And it impacts every part of our life. A virus that we didn't even know the name of 10 months ago, and now it impacts everything that we do. And maybe one of the most sinister daily things that we feel about this virus is that it physically separates us from one another. That's dark. And another year of seeing a chair at Thanksgiving that's not supposed to be empty. Another year of cancer diagnosis. Another year of hardships. Living in a dark world. There is darkness. Around. The world is not the way it was meant to be. And as Christians, we see that darkness and we know that it's not just out there, it's also in here. Of our sin and our guilt, our pride, our rebellion, it's dark. And so when Gabriel comes to this couple with this kind of good news, I'm incredibly encouraged. John the Baptist could have come another way. It could have been another couple. It could have been another way that God could have worked. But he picks this couple and then chooses their great sense of shame and their great sense of sadness to bring about his redemption. That he is present in their darkness to bring about something amazing. And when Gabriel comes to announce the news, it's it's almost like too good to believe And that actually Luke goes out of his way to show that God handpicked this priest in this family, this sadness. All those details about his division of the priesthood and, and that he was doing the offer of incense. That just means that one out of 24 divisions and one man out of his division doing one out of 14 offers of incense in that week finds himself in that rare moment where he is alone in the temple. It sounds so random, but God's hand of providence is all over that. And in that loneliness of being in the temple, Gabriel appears to this man, this sad, broken priest, and says, your prayers have been heard. But it's interesting, one commentator pointed out that Zechariah actually had two prayers because it's his job right now to pray on behalf of Israel. Like in that moment, he's supposed to be praying about Israel. But he had a second prayer for a child that he desperately wanted. And that this child actually answers both prayers. The barrenness of the couple and actually the barrenness of Israel. That this child will come and bring joy to his family and also joy to the people who desperately need it. That this child will come and herald the king. This child will make ready a people for the Lord. This child will come preaching repentance. And God does it through this couple in their sadness and in their shame. Where do we need to hear that God is still at work in the darkness? What part of our life do we need to see that God has not left us there, hopeless, but he's actually still at work in it? Because Zachariah's reaction is exactly what I would do. Verse 18, Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years? It's basically him saying, this is not the way the world works. This can't be Right? I don't believe it. And I actually love Gabriel's answer. I think there's a sense of humor in this. That Gabriel looks at him and says, I'm Gabriel. I live in the glory of God for eternity. And you have some questions about how this might work out. And so what does he do? You'll be silent until these words come to fruition. It's a punishment for sure. But there's also a lot of hope in that. It's a sense of saying... Be silent and watch God work. Like what part of our hearts do we need to believe that? Be silent in that. Whatever that darkness is and watch God work. When the shutdowns came in in March and everything went online and I I just sort of, I don't have any stat behind this, but I just sort of noticed a lot of churches preached Psalm 46 that Sunday. Uh, I preached that to to RUF, um, our first Zoom large group. And I think we were all attracted to that because of that one line that reminds me a lot of what Gabriel's saying here, be still and know that I'm God. Where do we need to hear that? In a loss of a loved one? In depression, loneliness, and sadness of just life? Areas that we're convinced that God can't work, that God can't bring Redemption? Be silent and know that he works in the darkness to bring about his glorious light. Never take your eyes off the light and rest in that. So he's present in the darkness. But also, he has power over the darkness. So Gabriel has two stops on this chapter. He just came to John the Baptist's parents and now he's about to announce the birth, the coming birth of the Savior This story is very familiar, and even as I read it, it almost felt like a well-tread words coming out of my mouth. But don't let the familiarity of the story dull the sharpness of the surprise of how God's at work here. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor, when the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's the great Christian hope, isn't it? And the stories of Mary and Elizabeth, they're, they're intertwined throughout these chapters, and you'll see in the coming weeks of Advent, these two stories parallel for a while, but they are different. Uh, Elizabeth had a need, a great need. had a great sadness. Mary is not really said to do that. She's a young woman who's about to be married. And John the Baptist is just supposed to herald the king. Mary, Mary's child is the king, the son of God. But you all of a sudden begin to see in Mary's story, it's not really about her at all. It's actually about God's power and what he's able to do, even in the most unexpected circumstances, even in weakness. Because Gabriel goes out of his way to actually say that Mary has just found favor with God. She's not even said to walk blamelessly in the statutes of commandments of the Lord like Zachariah and Elizabeth. She's just found favor. God chose her just because that's what God does. He chooses out of his sheer grace. And he comes and says all of this great news, Gabriel, that, that this is what's going to come, that this child of yours, he is going to be the light of the world. That this child of yours is going to be the one who comes to this world to make his people new. That this child isn't coming to make this world like a little bit better. That this child is coming to renew the world. To make right God's people. And to bring about Hope. And the power is almost, it's just like too great that, uh, that uh, just Mary has a simple question. How? <laughs> I have some questions about the details here. And I don't know if you thought this is sort of a tangential thought, but as soon as I read this this week, I wondered, why did Zachariah get punished and Mary didn't? And the questions are, pr- are pretty similar. But in Zechariah's question, it really was a lot of doubt. This can't be because of the circumstances. Mary's question, as one commentator points out, is a little bit of childlike hope, of childlike faith of how, can, how will you do it? Uh, my daughter is at an age right now where she still believes I can do anything. Right? So if I say something absolutely outlandish, like I can jump 100 feet in the air, which is about the biggest number we got right now, there's a, there's a large part of it that probably knows I can't do that, but there's still a little bit of like, but if he can do it, I want to see it. See, we're not quite at the point where she rolls her eyes. There's still a little bit of childlike, how can that be? I want to see it. Do it. Mary's doing that a little bit here. How will you do this? How will you pull this off? And Gabriel comes with the answer in Luke chapter, uh, in verse 35. And this isn't so much how this situation is going to come about. The answer here is also what this child will do. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. That this child will come into the world, the world that He actually spoke into existence, like an author writing himself into the the story that He created. And that this child will overshadow the world, will overshadow the darkness, will be the light of the world Himself. Not a flickering light of hope, but will cast out darkness forever. Then in Revelation 21, when it talks about the new heavens, the new earth, there is no need for sun and there's no need for lamp. Why? Because the king is there. And that this child will bear the sins of his people. That this child will clothe the people in the righteousness that they don't deserve. That this child will be the renewal of the world. And how will he do that? Because he's God himself. The power of God over darkness is that he came himself to rescue his people. He did not send someone else. He came. One of the things I'm learning as I go further into fatherhood, and this is just sort of a lesson I need to learn in life anyways, is that sometimes I give love in ways that people don't really receive love. So I'm a talker. Um, It's what I do for a living. I like doing this. I like meeting with students. I like just asking questions and talking, encouraging and so I come home to a five-year-old daughter, and I'm ready to talk to her. And I want to ask her questions about her day. And the answers don't really come that much. You know, she kind of gets, dad's asking his questions again. And I'll say things like, you know, Anna, I love you. And you're my favorite little girl in the world. And I can't wait to come home and play with you. And I think about you all day. And i just keep going on and on and on. And she hears that, and she kind of sits there and thinks, and usually says something like, yeah, can I have an Oreo? (laughs) Can I have screen time? Can I go do something? Like, just way over, like, just doesn't receive at all. It's important to do. But I'm beginning to learn that actually the thing maybe that she needs the most is for me to, like, get on my hands and knees and enter into the make-believe world that she's come up with. That I need to actually enter into her universe, her world, and while I'm playing with her physically there, that's where she receives dad loves me, dad's for me, dad's with me. The God of the universe enters into his own creation in the form of man and enters into it as a baby, becomes killable, vulnerable, hurtable, in order to love his people, redeem his people, renew his people, restore his people. The Christmas story is actually not that he just came, but it's also that he's still present. And that he's coming again to finish the job. The Christmas story is God's invitation of inviting us into his renewal of the world. And the Christmas story that we are preparing ourselves for in this Advent season is our story. And we're still awaiting the end where the king comes back. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are not a God who's distant from his people. Uh, You are not a distant deity, but you are God who is always with his people, dwelling amongst us, dwelling in us. And we pray, Lord, as we go through this season of darkness and light, as we prepare ourselves for the celebration of the arrival of a king, that we can be real about our own needs and our own doubts, but that we never take our eyes off that flickering light in a dark room. That one day, someday to come, all darkness will be overshadowed. And we, as renewed people in a renewed creation, will rest with you. Father, be with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.